I think we should all be careful because the night is dark and full of terror. In those words, going into the last season of Game of Thrones, I think that they've never been more accurate and they've never been more fitting. And let's talk about the season finale. Season 7 finale of Game of Thrones. How strong it was. How intense it was. And how wonderfully lengthy. It was about an hour plus. Uh, I didn't check the official time, but it was clearly over an hour. It was um, a great episode. One that we've been waiting for. One we've been hoping would never end. Because the series is almost done. As with other great television series of Breaking Bad and Mad Men, now all we can do is kind of wait until it winds down. I'm sure there's going to be fantastic events. I'm sure some people are going to watch it in theaters in certain locations. I'm sure that eventually it will go down in the canon as one of the greatest television shows of all time, if not the greatest television show of all time. So let's get into it. I had a good time watching this episode uh, from the get-go because I think that the quiet moments are just as exciting as the loud moments. While I love the battles, I love the Beyond the Wall episode, I thought that was really cool. I got just as much joy out of this episode as well. Now obviously, the protagonist, antagonist of this episode Every episode is its own miniature story, and every story has to have a protagonist and antagonist. And the protagonist is a person that wants something. The antagonist is one that is getting in the way of them getting what they want. And that's it. It doesn't mean the bad guy. It doesn't mean the good guy. It's just who the story is about versus who is getting in their way. So in this instance, the story is basically basically about Tyrion. Tyrion is... The one who, A, arranged this meeting for a number of reasons. Now, because he arranged this meeting, he put things into motion. He has the agency of this scene and this scenario. What does Tyrion want? He wants there to be a truce between Daenerys Targaryen and her group, Jon Snow and his group, and Cersei, his sister, and her group. Not because he cares that they get along or he wants them to be friends, but because he is realizing that the threat beyond the wall of the dead, of uh, the Night King, and of the Whites is far more important than arguing and bickering over territories. That's what he wants. He wants them to get a truce. Who is getting in the way of the truce? Cersei. So she's the antagonist. That's kind of what it boils down to. So, as the antagonist, it is her job to get in the way of Tyrion and to impede process and slow things down. And she does it in the most childlike, petty, uh, irrational, ridiculous way that she possibly could. Now, Cersei has always been a stupid character. She's always been an illogical character. She's always been one whom acts based on, not on reason, not even on morals or morality or values, but on some sort of weird psychosis that causes her to um, skew things in her favor 
and change the perspective of the world. So she actually believes her own nuttery. She really reminds me of Eric Cartman. There was this great episode about joke thieving in in, uh, South Park where Cartman sits with Jimmy while Jimmy comes up with jokes. And then after a while, Cartman says he came up with the, the, the super famous fancy joke. And then Cartman starts to believe that it was all his idea so forth and so on and as the episode plays out you start to understand that this isn't just about Cartman um, believing his own uh, hype he has some sort of disorder he has like a special psychosis where he changes and warps the reality to suit his own personal insecurities which is exactly what is exactly what she does, and she's been doing it basically since the uh, the outset, since the beginning of the show, of the series, not just the episode. That's what Cersei does. She warps the perspective on the world to suit whatever lies she's told herself. She calls everyone else liars, thieves, rapists, and the worst part about it is that she become has become one that's in power. And there are plenty of crazy people in life who like Cersei as a character and understand and regret her and and say that she's misunderstood or they say that she is um, uh, not remorseful, um, sympathetic as a character. I have no sympathy for Cersei. Though the television show did turn one of the scenes from the books uh, into a rape scene so they could garner some sympathy for her where Jamie uh, raped her on the show, which never happened. They just wanted to give Cersei some sympathy as a character. But I just can't feel any sympathy for her. She's nuts. She's loony. And people have to keep doing what she says. And crazy people sidle up to her like Quiburn because he knows that by being in Cersei's council and actually giving her success and what she wants, he gets to keep doing his weird, kind of creepy experiments as a mad Frankenstein-esque scientist. So I think that her being in the way of progress and her being in the way of um, actually resolving things is exactly what's what's expected. Um, She is getting in the way of Tyrion actually doing something good for the realm. Like always. The same with season two when Tyrion was trying to protect the castle and all Cersei cared about was maintaining power. All Cersei cared about was making sure that uh, Joffrey was safe in the short term because she didn't really give a shit about what's going to happen to the city or the people. She says the people are peasants. They should be grateful that they're even near us, so forth and so on. She's just a terrible human being. And now it's amplified the more power that she has. So in addition to the despicable nature of her, we have uh, Euron Greyjoy, who, you know, he swaggers around and he acts like he's incredible and he's the shit because for all intents and purposes, he kind of is. He's a great warrior, he wins battles, but also a crazy person. Um, but in the beginning of the, of the show, let me pull back a little bit because this is Ter- Tyrion's perspective in the first part of it. 
where we're leading up, he is kind of like the, if this was from the books, it would be a Tyrion perspective chapter. Tyrion leads the way once they get to the city. And I'm not even going to talk about the meeting of the armies because that was expected. It's like, look at all these cool armies. Bronn has some witty banter with Jamie. It's fun times. But when we have the actual walk, you get to see more of the inevitable meetings of friends reuniting, of people seeing that other people are alive. The, the meeting of Brienne and the Hound and uh, uh, Brienne saying, I thought you were dead. And the hound was like, you came the closest, but not yet. And then she says, guess what? Arya's okay. And he's like, well, who's looking after her? And he's like, shit, we don't need to look after her. And then he kind of smiled a little bit. That was dope. He was looking after her the best way he knew how, and she was looking after her the best way she knew how. And they're realizing, hey, she doesn't need us anymore. She's all grownsed up. <laughs> And it was it was a very cool moment. In addition, you have Podrick seeing Tyrion again, and um, saying, "I'm glad you're alive, my lord." Not my lord, my lord, because he's of noble birth. And um, Tyrion saying, "Man, I'm glad to see you too, Pod. I'm glad you're you're, you're still kicking it. I'm glad you're 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 hanging out and you're still around. It's a good day." Uh, for me and my people. Um, and in addition to that, the wonderful scene of uh, Tyrion making Bronn his, uh, his famous offer that he always made him, where he says, remember what I told you? Whatever someone offers you, I'll double it. And Bronn says, ooh, think about it. <laughs> There's a brilliance to this type of storytelling. When gatherings of individuals is equally as excited as exciting as gatherings of combatants of enemies when council meetings are just as thrilling as battle scenes that means your storytelling is on point because what matters when it comes to this type of shit is conflict and tension and I guess the stakes of empathy. We as audience members have stakes in several of the characters present. And because it's Game of Thrones and because it's taken seven years for the TV, TV watchers and longer for the book readers to fully see every possible aspect of the characters. We know Jon Snow inside and out. We know Tyrion inside and out, Jaime, so forth and so on. Even Cersei. Now that we have our own personal ideas and associations of these characters, we get a thrill of seeing the characters interact together because now we can kind of see, wait a minute, I respect this character for this reason, but this character doesn't respect the same character for the, for the same reason. 
we have, um, I can't believe I'm even getting to use this term, um, but as my fourth grade, no, 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 my, not my fourth grade, my eighth grade literature teacher called it, we have dramatic irony. And dramatic irony is when you as an audience member are aware of situations and facts that the um, characters on screen are unaware of. That's what dramatic irony is. So when Jon Snow and Daenerys are like arguing and she's like, I don't believe in White Walkers. I don't know. How do I know if you're, you're, you're a good person? How do I know if you're telling the truth? Now we know that John is a good person. We know that White Walkers exist. We know that it's real. So to us, it's creating tension. Like, ah, uh, just believe him. We know he's telling the truth. But she doesn't have that same type of omnipotence that we have. So it creates these interesting, like, little challenges when it comes to what the character should do. But for us... It's just this brilliance of tension that's created because of the, the way things are structured. And this is the best, one of the best examples in the series and one of the reasons why everything works so well. It's because these are characters whom are, these are characters, these are characters whom are They're very strongly opinionated and they're very strongly and uniquely powerful and they're uniquely respected. We respect them as audience members for different reasons in the same way that they as characters respect each other. So when John and Cersei finally meet and they finally have a conversation and there's instant conflict, we feel that frustration the same way that we feel the frustration in reverse when they don't meet. Moving right along. Is Bronn going to take Tyrion's offer? I certainly would like to hope so. I mean, Bronn has always been incredibly self-interested, as he 100% described in the episode. He talked about how he's looking out for his best interests, he's making sure he gets paid, he's making sure he gets that bag, and... The way he put it, he was like, look, 100% Cersei has me getting guaranteed money. And if I go and move over to your location, then I have to basically gamble on my career. And, you know, I'm getting older, you know, closer to retirement. You know, my knees aren't what they aren't what they used to be. So I don't know how much longer I have to be in the league. So maybe... As a swordsman, I just want to kind of ride this out, but I'm going to have to go with the short thing. And since that's who Bronn has been 100% of the time, we don't hold it against him. We like that about Bronn, his bluntness, his honesty, his self-interest, the fact that he's like, look, I'm not a jumped up prince who daddy put in the right position. He's like, I just fought and won and was smart and fought and won and was smart. Braun is a great fighter, but more than just a great fighter, he's a smart fighter. He picks his battles. He decides what instances and situations are going to put him in basically the best circumstances to not just win fights, but to achieve in the long term. 
So when he was like, look, Imp, you and I were good friends, but I got to follow that bag. I'll be made a lord. I'm brawn of the black water. But now there may be trouble in paradise. And maybe it's time for Braun to fight for something more than just... Maybe it's time for him to fight for something more than just the gold coin. And I think that that could be his, you know, character arc. But he may be just like a fun, static character who doesn't really change. And he just kind of consistently goes after the cash. And that's that. But I love the fact that Tyrion, now that coming from a position of strength, made him the offer once more. So, in addition to that, um, I thought it was really cool to see um, Brienne try to reach out and talk to Jamie because she knows the real Jamie, not just the braggadocious, super, uh, super cocky, super uh, being better than everybody Jamie from season one which everyone still thinks he is. But she knows the the real Jamie, the one who is, um, you know, he's, he's out there and he's, he's kind of doing the right thing in a lot of instances. He's kind of fighting or making decisions that are looking out for people. And it's beautiful because he's never really had that opportunity. Jamie is how I imagine Rob is to Ned Stark. The only reason Jamie really acts the way he does is because of his father. Whereas I feel like Rob, his moral compass is 100% tied into his dad as well. Whereas his dad is like, look, you must be a good person. You must be... Um, kind of people, you must have a moral code, so forth and so on. And I think Jamie's dad, Tywin Lannister, is like, look, you must be ruthless. You must go after what you need to. You must look out for the family. So that's what Jamie's done. And then he kind of ties it into his um, moral subjectivity of being with his sister with Cersei, whom he actually does love. Whereas someone like John, I feel like his I feel like his development is almost independent of Ned, where he does love and respect him, but I feel like he still will make tougher choices than Ned did to some extent. That being said, um, I love that he and Brienne met. I hope that he really gets this chance to step out and kind of do his own thing because he had this amazing meeting uh, with his sister, with Cersei. And in this meeting, a lot of people that I talked to afterwards, they really thought that was it. They thought that Jamie was about to die in this meeting. When Jamie sits with Cersei after the meeting, so everything has kind of happened. Cersei says, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it because you're not doing exactly what I say. She's a child. Remember that. And actually, let's let's pull back a little bit because I want to get to that Jamie scene last when I thought he was going to die. Or not me, but some people I've talked to uh, thought he was going to die during that meeting. So before that, everything goes wrong because Jon Snow is super honest and Jon Snowy, which was fire. Tyrion is like, okay, I'm going to fix this. Can't be you. Can't be you. It has to be me. And I have to say... 
they really need to look at Peter Dinklage one more time for another Emmy because he was just marvelous in this scene. Striking, just penetrating in the honesty of the character in dealing with basically a, a, a lunatic. His sister is crazy. His sister is irrational, unreasonable, and he is 100% not just rational, but kind. And she doesn't really know what to make of it. She doesn't really care anyway. She never really did. She only cares about getting her personal way. And that's kind of been the problem of her. And Tyrion, who actually wants to do right by his family, by his people, by the country, he actually says, I'm going to have a moral compass in spite of my father. He has to deal with the most irrational of all of them. Even Tywin Lannister was like, look, I get that this is a slight, but you can't kill Ned because now we have to go and waste money and resources and time. He understood the bigger picture. Cersei doesn't care. She doesn't understand the bigger picture. She can't even spell bigger picture. Tyrion understands the bigger picture, but for more moral reasons. He knows that there's a war coming, that we have humanity against these dead creatures, that Daenerys is actually a good person, and she's not just going to let people walk all over everybody. Varys is understanding that he's in there for the little people. That is very, very cool. And seeing Tyrion like approach his sister and try to get her to understand any sense of like moral reality <clears throat> we know it's a lost cause and he gives this heartbreaking speech where he's literally saying that he's sorry for um he's sorry for um Tommen and uh, Marcella, most of all, because he loved he loved his nieces and nephews. Um, he probably didn't love jo Joffrey, but the other two, they were so sweet and they were kind and they were good kids. But Marcella's death was because of craziness, because of um, the stupidity of the Sand Snakes. And then Tommen's death was really Cersei's fault because of her craziness and bringing in the high sparrow in the first place it, I mean and and then like going out of such an extreme way and treating Tom in like a child and not really understanding that you can't control everybody all the time he fucking leapt off a building worst parent of the year award ever and Tyrion could do nothing because they weren't his kids Jamie could do nothing because they weren't his kids on paper, which is the sad thing because Jamie probably would have been a good father if he had been given the opportunity. If he had been given the opportunity to be a good person, Jamie would have been. Tyrion, on the other hand, was not given the opportunity and he's a good person despite himself. Tyrion has every reason to be an evil, spiteful little thing of low cunning, as Tywin points out, but he doesn't. He rises above it, and that's why we love Tyrion. So seeing him trying to fucking um, negotiate with this idiot of a person is heartbreaking because it's like asking a tree to lay down um, 
But somehow he does it. We don't even know how. We just know that it was him and he somehow got through to her, at least to that extent, to where she could come up with another stupid plan, which I hope falls in her face, which brings me back to Jamie, whom we thought might die during this scene. After Cersei says, hey, we're on board, fam. There's actually a lot to unpack in this episode and obviously because it's the end of the season but just so much happened and seeing this scene between Cersei and Jaime was so weird because it seemed like Jaime whom is the only person that's sticking by her side only person is trying to talk with her the only person is trying to reason with her get her to see reason get her to see hey we have to look out for the future and she's having this kid maybe um she doesn't really care she just says whatever is most convenient to her to get her way and that's kind of how she's always been but jamie still loves her and feels that he needs to be loyal to her because of that love but obviously this is not boding well for him she continues to just use him to run their military continues to um have him do things that he's basically better than she continues to um take advantage of his kindness and his loyalty and his love and desire and just treats him terribly and the one time where Jamie's like look I know that you care 100% only about us but we gotta think about the bigger picture here if the north gets killed we're not gonna be able to stop the undead army either they're gonna come down and kill us do you understand and she's like oh yeah but I have a plan, and I sent Euron out to sea, and he's gonna get the uh, the 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 sun, what well, the the sun spears, I think that's what they're called, the army that I I think uh, Daenerys had worked with. She's gonna he's gonna get them, and it's gonna bring him back, and uh, fuck out of here. You know what I mean? Like <clears throat> she only really cares about her own personal gains, and. This is going to be the time when being the most ruthless is only going to stab her in the back. And my hope is that when she meets her end, it's going to be on Jamie's blade. And he's going to be Queen Slayer as well as King Slayer as well as Kin Slayer. And then, or he's about to do it, but then Tyrion takes that burden from him. And he takes her out. Something. He needs his own set of redemption. Because he's had a, a hard time as well. Trying to please everybody else. Um, and trying to be a good person. When all the people are only respecting him. When he's, in, when he's a terrible person. <clears throat> so. I thought that scene was really, really cool. Heartbreaking. She almost... People thought that she was going to have Sir Gregor, um, the mountain, just take him out. But that would have been frustrating and annoying in for so many uh, reasons. And obviously, um, it would have been as satisfying of a character moment for him to die in that moment. But that's basically what people thought. But I'm glad he walked away. 
I'm glad he was able to get on his horse at the end and leave, but that's not what we need to jump to. Let's jump over to, we have Alliance in place, that, so they think, let's jump to Winterfell. Sansa, Arya, and we have this scene, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, because this whole thread I found to be, like, come on, I, I don't, I'm just annoyed seeing like Littlefinger trying to weave weave things and weave webs and like all this stuff. I'm just annoyed. But whatever. That's what they put in the show. So Sansa has this conversation with Littlefinger and he's like, okay, now when I try to figure out what someone's motivations are, here's what I imagine. I imagine what's the worst possible thing for me. And then I try to pretend, okay, is this what they're trying to do? And they just went and did this whole thing. And so Sansa plays this game with Littlefinger uh, talking about why does Arya want to come back? Well, she wants to take over and she wants to be the Lady of Winterfell and blah, 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 blah. And Littlefinger is like, yes, I've got her now. And I was like, fuck out of here. I'm kind of tired of him be still being able to do this to that extent. I thought that they ch- that these guys had grown. And that leads to, leads to the trial of Arya Stark. So we have this trial. And you can tell in my voice that this is already annoying me as I'm talking about it. Where Sansa is like, bring in my sister. And she and Bran are sitting up front. And all the guards are standing around and Arya is standing in the middle. And then she's like, these are the charges. Treason. Um, <clears throat> murder. Intent to blah, blah. Imprisonment. Being, being an asshole. So forth and so on. And Littlefinger, pans over Littlefinger watching this in the, the whole situation. He's just kind of like leaning back. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm doing this. And I was like, are we still doing this? I was so annoyed. I was like, oh, this motherfucker is tricking these kids. And they're being dumb. And this is crazy. And now she's bringing her sister to trial in front of all these people. But then as she's saying it, she's like, that is what you've been charged with. Lord Baelish and then she they turn back to Peter and he's like what I was like are they really I was so happy because now I don't have to put up with this bullshit anymore I was like yeah he's going away they're gonna put him in the dungeon he's done and then they she just lays out everything that he ever did he they he um he betrayed Ned he betrayed his Caitlyn he uh framed Tyrion um, <clears throat> but Arya's like, nah, this is your knife. And in the books, we know that he lost that knife to Tyrion. Uh, no, Tyrion lost that knife to Littlefinger in a bet. Or something like that. And Littlefinger had, gave that knife to like Joffrey or something like that. Who tried to send the assassin. But then, he betrays Ned he pushed uh, Liza Aaron out the moon door, all this stuff. Though I fucking hated Liza, like all of you. In the book, I was great when she died. I was like, yes, get that psychopath out of here. <laughs> but they're like, yeah, Littlefinger, you can't just be doing this shit. Sell, sold Sons of the Roost Bolton, which I don't think happened, was going to happen in the books. It did not happen in the books yet, but it might have been on the schedule later down the road. Um, all this terrible, terrible shit where he just only cares about victory and being in charge. Whereas Varys was trying to look out for people, Littlefinger was trying to look out for Littlefinger. 
bad person, crazy, crazy guy, not crazy, really, really brilliant, really smart, but it was time for him to go because there was no point or purpose. So when he's saying, take me out of here, take me back to the veil. And they're like, yeah, fuck you. And then when he was like on his knees, fucking begging and crying and all this stuff. And Sansa was like, Sansa was like, he was like, you sold me to Riz Bolton. He's like, I loved your mother. And she was like, why don't you help her? You betrayed her. He's like, but I loved you too. And Sansa's like, yeah, I know. And you ain't never going to get Sansa. And then Arya said, no. And then she's like, all right, do you, do you admit it? Do you confess? Are you, we find you guilty or whatever, whatever she said. And then he just, you could see the look of defeat. Arya just slid across and slashed his throat with that fucking knife. And then Littlefinger fucking fell on the floor and bled out and died. And what was brilliant is that when he denies it, Bran, who we know can see things, says, you said you told my father not to trust you. <laughs> like in that kind of like spacey way. Oh, it was amazing. Goodbye, Littlefinger. We will not miss you. Though I like book Littlefinger better than show Littlefinger because show Littlefinger was came across as creepy where creepy and um sneaky book little finger came across as charismatic and sly and so he wasn't as likable in the show so it's much more satisfying to see him die or see him get got so that was that was really cool and i don't want to get too much into that but just the fact that that part is over and there's no sansa versus Arya. they're together brand's there when john gets there it's going to be amazing, and we're going to finally get all the remaining Star kids under one roof having soup with Daenerys Targaryen. So let's jump a little bit more to when Sam finally arrives at Winterfell. Bum, 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 bum. Sam, well, Tarly finally fucking arrives with Gilly. And the first thing that we see him do is he goes to talk to Bran. And Bran's like, Samuel Tarly. And Sam's like, I didn't think you'd remember me. And Bran was like, I remember everything. So, Sam meets Bran. Now Bran the Broken. Now Bran the Three-Eyed Raven. The Seer. The Knower. And... Bran tells Sam there's something that we have to make sure Jon Snow finds out. He's not Jon Snow. And our dad, Ned Stark, is not his real dad. The whole past war was a lie. He is actually Rhaegar Targaryen's son. And um, Liza Stark... What's her name? Not Liza. Um... Ned's sister. Maybe it was Liza. Liza Stark's daughter. And really Ned Stark was his was his was his uncle. And John and then Sam recalls this thing which even though he cut he cut Gilly off, where he was like Sam cut Gilly off and he was like, But I remember hearing that um Rhaegar Targaryen had a secret marriage. That must be what's going on. So John isn't a bastard. He's not he's not a sand. And he's like, you're right. He's actually John Targaryen. But that's not his real name. His real name is Aegon Targaryen, and he is the true heir to the Iron Throne. 
Jon Snow is the least in, from the least important to the most important character in the fucking series like we the fans always wanted Jon Snow who had to put up with everything he had to go to the wall he had to fucking go across into the ranging areas and join the wildlings he overcame that he overcame trying to be the lord commander he literally got killed trying to do the right thing bringing in the wildlings he fucking did everything in his power he could do the right thing in every single situation everybody everybody doubted him hated him spat on him and then eventually respected him and he brought people together he fucking put his life on the line the battle of the bastards to try to save Rickon doing the right thing without any strategy whatsoever he's the guy and there could not be a more satisfying answer than that. So seeing the fact that John, he wasn't, he didn't get dragons, he didn't get any special power, but he did have ghosts, and he did have a belief in himself, and he did try, and he did care about his people. John Snow is that dude, and that is amazing. So now he's gonna realize his burden is greater than the North. His burden is greater than Winterfell. And the conflict is going to arise where who is actually going to sit on the Iron Throne? Daenerys Targaryen or Aegon Targaryen? Now, it's my belief that Jon Snow is probably going to end up in Winterfell as the King of the North. And maybe there'll be a Targaryen of the North, a Targaryen of the South. So, Song of Ice, Jon Snow, and a Song of Fire, Daenerys. Equally powerful, ruling in couplets and protecting the realm from all who would harm and betray them. But it was a brilliant scene. We got to see the actual wedding. We got to see Aegon, who looked just like Viserys. Same wig, even the same voice, same look. I thought it was the same actor. There's like, hey, you want to work for a day? I thought that was fantastic. So I, I fucking love it. It was great. And it was so funny, too, because... It was paired with the scene where John finally like went to see um, Daenerys in her room, and he was like, "Yo," and she just let him in, and they were just going at it because they were kind of playing with, "Okay, they're kind of into each other. Something's probably going to happen." Blah 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 blah. I thought it was really cool. Um, I really dug it. I think that that particular aspect of the show was amazing. And it's just what the fans really want to see. We wanted to see John and Daenerys hook up, our favorite characters, even though they are uh, technically aunt and nephew. We wanted to see John be the number one guy. We want to see Daenerys be the number one girl. We want all the good people together, and we want Cersei out of there eventually. And everything is awesome. So the 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 thing to keep us coming back next time happened when we put the pin on the show. Tormund Giant's Bane is on the wall, and he and um, Beric Dondarrion are watching, and they're looking down when all of a sudden one of the whites comes out of the forest with the army in tow, and holy shit. And this is just why this show is just better than your everyday show. Even to the last shot, every moment is beautiful sweeping shots of the white walkers and the de army of the dead coming out of the out of the the fucking forest and then riding the dead dragon is the night king and he fucking burns down the wall 
what the fuck? He has an, a dragon breathing blue flames, which I guess is an ice dragon. I don't know. But it's dead. It's flying, and it is burning down the wall. And all Tormund can say is, run! And it's a long way down. Is he dead? Is Are they all dead? Eastwatch is toast. But all we know is that they just blew up the wall that's been standing for a thousand years. And that's where they kind of ended it. So now all the pieces are in place. The fucking White Walkers came across. It was fucking awesome. No one could really do anything. There was no fight against the dead yet. It was just all set up for the next last final season in 2019. It's just going to be all out battle. The living versus the dead versus the stupid, which would be Cersei. So I'm so excited. This is probably one of the best TV experiences I've ever had, if not the best. I'm having a fun watching it, talking about it, thinking about it. It just makes life that much more fun. And I thank you guys for listening, you know. Um, I'm having fun with these otaku beef sessions. I'm going to start talking about more random stuff. I've been doing a lot of uh, media, TV shows, movies, and stuff like that. I want to get back into some more random topics. Like, let's talk about music. Let's talk about hip-hop. The VMAs were last night, too. Freaking Floyd Mayweather versus uh, Conor McGregor happened last night, too. I may talk a little bit about that. But just some random stuff. And um, I want everybody on here to do me a favor. If you like any of my stuff at all and you like these podcasts, know that I am Zidraw, Z-I-D-R-A-W, on every single channel, some version of that. Go do me a favor and subscribe to my YouTube page where I am putting up tons and tons of music, random stuff. I'm going to start moving some of the podcasts over there, which if you just search for Zidra on YouTube, Z-I-D-R-A-W, it's the Zidra channel. Um, or follow me on Instagram if you would prefer that. But follow me on some channel. Do me that favor. Uh, I love doing these podcasts. I 100% love talking to you guys. It's tons of fun for me because I get to this nice outlet where I can kind of discuss these things, which mean a lot to me. They really do. Whether I love them or hate them, I can give you my honest opinion, my honest feedback. Um, I just want you guys to know that I really appreciate you listening to me um, wherever you are. And I love you guys. And I hope you guys are going after your goals the same way that I'm trying to do for me. So please follow me on one of the channels, Zidraw the Wizard on Instagram, The Zidraw on Twitter, uh, Zidraw on YouTube, Snapchat, and um, uh, Bandcamp and uh, SoundCloud. So yeah, um, hit me up, send me a message, tell me you listen to the podcast, like, subscribe, leave me a review, all that good stuff, it all helps. Uh, Whatever you can do, whatever you have time for, I really appreciate it. But thanks for listening to Otaku Beef. This is the Game of Thrones season uh, seven finale episode. Um, I'll hit you guys up later. I'm going to talk about more random stuff right after this. Beep.